It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get gas flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East Hall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista, Series 4, Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. And sadly, Dale, that's as far as I can read because we've just had our intro to this show erased. I think the government are listening to us or something. <laughs> that's perfect. But literally, it just disappeared in front of my eyes. I love it. I love it. I don't know what to say either because, I mean, I don't have an intro script, but you throw me just, now. Yeah, I'm like, it's just like it's a couple of lines that I always say as a kind of nice entree into this festival. Oh, it was very entertaining. And, and now it's them. gone, and I think it's to do with Chinese balloons. Right, right. Or Soros, right? He's about controlling Soros, things. Soros, yeah. Or Bill Gates, apparently, as well. Could be, could be. Cool. You haven't had a vaccination recently, have you? Well, it's funny you say that because there's a lot of stuff about Bill Gates. You know he met with Grant Shapps. I didn't know that. And Shapsy oh. looks as if he's just met like the king of the world. And he's very, very excited, Shapsy. He's going, look who I've got with me. And then the camera pulls out and there's Bill Gates, who's like, right. if you could put an air bubble up above Bill Gates' head, it would have said, who the f*** is this guy? <laughs> he looks like some kind of anti-arch villain. Yeah. Yeah. Is that Shaps or Gates? I'm going to say both. Listen, the, one of the things that has dominated uh, Dale this week, there's been a big run of um, energy profits from the, the Centricas and all the rest of it who are making, I think, 3.3 billion Centrica. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. What's the first thing? There's a distinction between Centrica and British Gas, right? Yeah, British Gas is the retail arm. Centrica, I think, is the whole group, and that includes uh, what they call upstream uh, activities, such as uh, drilling for gas in the North Sea. Yeah. And it's that it's that upstream bit, that gas extraction company that's making the big bucks. British Gas, I think, are losing money. So how does this work? And I think they've got some, you know, they own 20% of uh, nuclear power as well, don't they, or something like that. So it's all of that mm. put together. Is that right? For Centrica, it makes their $3.3 billion. Yeah, I don't know how profitable the nuclear stuff was because normally it's sold under long-term contracts. So it seems unlikely they would have benefited from gotcha. the energy price crisis and therefore won't be subject to the very lame uh, energy profits levy. But the point, I suppose the point that, that, that maybe gets lost, not that I want to defend 3.3 billion quid, but... Here comes that hat again. But it is, here's that hat. It's coming out. That's <laughs> my Soros hat. I think 3.3 billion quid hasn't been made out of British gas payers. That's the point. I think that's right. Yes, it's been made out of British taxpayers because it was extracted from the North Sea, sold at stupid prices to our country, actually, uh, and they've made bumper profits from it. And they're giving a you know shed load back to shareholders. They just don't know what to do with it in typical kind of oil and gas company style. Yeah. But, you know, three billion sounds like a lot because last week we were talking about 23 billion for Shell. That's true. Um, you know, and BP were up in that same kind of uh, area as well. So, I mean, they're proper monster profits. And, yeah. You know, Centrica, by comparison, well, it's 
kind of a tiddler, isn't it? It's kind of strange, isn't it? Because last year, I remember when this run of stories, they obviously released their profits roughly around about the same time. But you can't help but make that comparison of, you know, to be typical about it, you know, the the old lady sitting in a flat who can't heat the flat (laughs) and British Gas are her suppliers. And their their overarching company have just made 3.3 billion. You can't can't fail to not clock that as a comparison. No, and it was worse than that for British Gas because more or less in the same week, they were making the news for breaking into people's homes and installing prepayment meters. I mean, literally breaking in. Some fool who was employed by them to like uh, teach other people how to do the job was videoing himself saying, this is my favorite bit, sledgehammer out, kick down the door and uh, put a prepayment meter in. A week later, they're making bumper profits. So that's given them a lot of grief this week for sure. Yeah, and and, and so it should. And I, I hope there are sleepless nights there because that was the – it was that comparison more than anything wasn't it but, and you know the the head of british gas who's not the head of centrica of course but the head of british gas said you know this this has got to stop and it has stopped apparently but doesn't stop it being a horrendous look <laughs> it does, it as, as bad as it gets it's, let's be honest it's been yeah. seen it can't be unseen yeah right? that's, that's right i wonder you know there's probably somebody paid a lot of bucks in the public relations department who has either <laughs> walked the plank or they have like <laughs> not slept for the last seven days and rightly so um i love this story this next story the small military town in sweden becoming the, the on course to produce europe's first commercial green steel and what I like about this, the human race, you know, since time began, has in, invented itself and reinvented itself and reinvented itself. And here we are in the next stage. You've been saying this, this podcast has been saying this for years, you know, humans find another way to do things. And that's the phase we're in now. And this is some good example of it. Yeah, it's a brilliant example of another way because the global steel industry is responsible for about 7% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. And, uh, you know, this is a, just an amazing move to decarbonize steel. And because it stands in stark contrast to what we're doing over here with our government opening a new coal mine to dig some more coke out in order to, you know, to fuel the old-fashioned steel mills that we have, while our steel industry says, no, 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 we want to actually go this way and make uh, green steel. But over there in Sweden, of course, they're on it. It's just happening. Yeah. And there'll be more of this, one, one assumes, in lots of other areas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and not just in steel, not just more steel plants. I think there'd be more examples of where we just continue to fall behind. And in fact, you know, we're pulling back in the opposite direction, aren't we? We, You know, we're digging coal and these guys are going to use hydrogen. It's like last century versus this century. That's where we are now. Absolutely. Here's a question from Adam, uh, Gloucestershire expat in Taiwan, listening to the podcast. Uh, How's it going with your land rewilding? I think actually, it actually says rewinding, but that may be some other process I'm not familiar with. Um, I'd love to see... (laughs) some updates on your social media i think proof of improvement is what we need to fight the constant greenwashing of the farming lobby yeah, so we've we bought a couple of bits of land and we're just uh, getting our heads around the best thing to do with each of them. And we, we built a couple of different models for calculating carbon and stuff. There's an emerging standard for biodiversity credits that, that, that could be coming as well. So that rewilding suddenly has a kind of slide rule uh, pulled across it and, and, and it can be kind of monetized, which, you know, it doesn't sound great, but actually if you can turn it into a business that, um, that is good for nature, then that's the way to grow it really fast. So we're watching that with interest, buying a couple of bits of land and just getting ready to do some more planting. Our first rewilding project was actually 20 years ago uh, when we bought some land near our first windmill and uh, and planted about 20,000 trees or something like that and, and let the rest go wild, like wild grassland. And and it's, I, I was back there just last week, actually. Yeah. It's the most amazing place. It's just incredible how it's transformed. You just, you know, just lock the gate, walk away and let nature 
get on with it. And I, That's what I, I yeah, do. and I guess you see that transformation by the week, right? Well, I don't go there every week. No, I don't but, mean you, know, you specifically. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> like, I wouldn't want to see watching a tree grow, you, right? Yes, <laughs> week how's, by week. How's the tree grow watching going, Dale? Uh, but my point is that it's ever changing. <laughs> It, it, is, it is it is but if you go back after 20 years it's like oh wow my god that, that's transformed i've been there since yeah, so, i mean we yeah but you know so we mentioned george soros again because he's in this next story scientists must take control of the weather to fight climate change according to george soros he said he's warned that inaction threatens to destroy humanity so he's urging government to use the the kind of so they, I think they call it cloud seeding technology. Yes, when when you were reading that, I was I was hearing it in in a villainous voice and imagining George uh, like uh, like the, the the Mekon floating on that dish that defies gravity or something <laughs> from the Dan Dare comics. Saying we must use weather control, and actually he was using mind control to get That's- the leaders of the world to say <laughs> yes, we'll do that, George. What's happening here then? Cloud seeding is an interesting uh, concept, but the, the danger of geoengineering on that global scale is that it gets out of control. And, you know, we talked, I think, last week about scientists proposing we do something on the moon, spit millions of tons of, of moon dust into the space between the Earth and the sun and cool the Earth down. You know, we joked, if they get that wrong, we have another ice age. You know, yeah, yeah. that's the kind of risk that we're taking messing about with with the weather. I'm not convinced that we should do that. And um I think there are better things we can do. We know what we need to do on the energy front, you know, go full tilt towards green energy. We've got the money, we've got the technology, it's more economic. You know, we should get after these things that we can control and we'll make an enormous difference. We should do them first. In layman's terms, Dan, is is the view of George Soros, is it that, right, if it's too hot, then stick some seeds in the cloud so it pisses down? Is that the, like the layman's interpretation <laughs> no, of this? No, I, no, I think actually there's a mistake in the headline, or at least in the way he expressed it, because really it must be climate control. It can't be weather control. It must be about cooling the planet by cloud seeding uh, in order to fight the, the global temperature rise, which is being driven by carbon emissions, which we aren't getting down fast enough. So, I mean, it could be a kind of stopgap to help keep the planet cool while we do the real job, but it can't be instead of the real job. Because you know, there are conspiracy theorists who believe that climate change is only <laughs> happening because people like Soros and his yes. chums, Bill Gates and the like, have got a secret plan to make it look like the weather's gone a bit shit-faced and in terms of it's hot there, it's flooding there, There's God knows what's going on. Over. So the idea is that you, you create this and then we all buy into the green agenda. Yeah, or if you've seen the the film Stark, which uh, was based on a book written by uh, Ben Elton, I want to say Ben Elton. I yeah. nearly said Elton. <laughs> I said John Elton. I don't know why Ben Elton. I mean, fantastic film. It's very much like that. This this um, this bunch of very rich people around the world conspire to uh, completely overload the world with uh, with toxic stuff. Total toxic overload, they called it. And then as a result, they all. F- off to the moon or that's something. right yeah um, all, all the rich people in their rockets yeah went and lived on the moon. <laughs> well, planet stark as it turned out uh, this comes from liz on twitter how long until the 2030 date for the ban of fossil fuel cars gets booted into the long grass Hmm, we're in 2023, aren't we? Seven I don't years. think the Tories will do it before the election. Um, so i don't think it's going to happen before 2025 is what i'm going to say so th- this is the ban on new fossil fuel cars right yeah Yeah, new ones yeah yeah. but but look the thing is i don't think many manufacturers if any will be selling these cars new by 2030 because when the government made the announcement they were behind the curve many 
motor manufacturers had already announced the end, some of them in 2025, and most of them by 2030. So I, actually, I'm going to answer the question differently and say, I don't think it'll happen. It was a great piece um, of politics, really. And to be fair, well, not to be fair to this government, because that's never a good thing, but to be fair to any government, this, they, they, this happened around the world, where they did it in France and Germany. Oh, we're going to ban it by this date, when actually the manufacturers were already going to ban it, and that's the right. government would have hoovered up the credibility for it. That's right. Classic piece of politics, really. Yeah. Um, interesting one coming out of Wales this week, that Wales want to stop building roads or put any kind of money into road projects in order to fight climate change. Well, I love it. And it also fights traffic volume at the same time. And we've known for a long time, the more roads we build, the more cars fill them up, you know. And we just have to at some point say, do you know what, we've got enough roads and, uh, and do something else. You know, build something else like train tracks. Well, I mean, we haven't done that since well, Victoria. That's true. Or horses, as we've discussed and, before. <laughs> if you discount HS two or something, wherever it's called, where's HS one, by the way? Well, yeah, that's a good point. There's oh. probably a really obvious answer to that, and we've just looked like a couple of tits. But okay. <laughs> what's HS one? Well, that's all we hear about HS two, isn't it? It's like, it's like oh, asking okay. what, what's HS one. Is that like asking what the M one is now? Is it is it that <laughs> basic knowledge? I don't know. But I do know that many people will say, well, hang on, we still need the roads and the infrastructure because we'll be driving good vehicles on them. So why stop investing? Well, I just don't think we need more, right? There are more cars on the road now than we have households in the country. Uh, you know, why do we need more? I think we need uh, we need to change the priority in towns and cities, for example, and, you know, give the streets back to pedestrians and, and cyclists. You know, we, we prioritize traffic, car traffic above everything. It's a tyranny of, of car ownership, actually. And, you know, when it, when it's full of uh, bad emissions as well, then, I mean, that makes it even worse. Clean cars would be one thing. But, um, you know, the streets, certainly in, in town and city centers, should be for people, not for vehicles, in my opinion. Okay. We got four categories on the board for this next question. Okay, Three we're crack gonna, politicians. We're going we're, we're to spin <laughs> the wheel. Okay, so this could be a question on either Grant Shapps. It could be a question on Rishi Sunak. It could be a question very on Suella Braverman, or it could be a question on dog shit. So, <laughs> one of those four categories. <laughs> Let's spin the wheel. He's back. It's Grant Shapps question time. Uh, this comes from Graham, who says, uh, any early thoughts on Grant Shapps' new department? The Net Zero Review said we needed a new office for Net Zero delivery by spring 2023. So maybe Rishi is actually listening. Okay. So that's his new job, is it? Net Zero Delivery. Yeah, well, he's the, he's the Secretary of State for Net Zero. Well, I think it's, I mean, it's obvious that we needed it. Is he the obvious man to run it? I mean, has he got a track record of delivering anything? Grant Shapps? Yeah. Absolutely nothing. All right. HS1, I think he delivered. But we don't know where that is. So (laughs) we could have – that's right. He just pretended it happened. He just went straight to two, assuming we'd assume that one had already been built. (laughs) Because sequels are always better. Sequels are always better. But, I mean, there is a department now for that, for the net zero thing. And one of the reasons he was meeting with Bill Gates, to go back to our original conversation, was because he was getting some, you know, I don't know, putting their heads together on on god. net zero based issues oh god god how great uh, the thing i love about grant shapps is the rhyming slang possibilities every time i hear his name i think grant shapps he's a bit yeah, it, yeah. it's there or versions it? of that or versions of that you know it's like so i mean he's fun 
he's to say about Grant Shapps. He's the man that's going to save the world. And our only assessment is, yeah, he's got a, his name's rhyming slang, and he's a bit of fun. <laughs> that's all he's got. Yeah, that's that's all, all I got for him. Uh, what we've talked about greenwashing before. This is an interesting one. Big tech companies like Facebook, Twitter are profiting from social media greenwashing campaigns that promote misinformation, disinformation about the climate crisis, according to a new report. And this uh, was a, the campaign group stopped funding heat using data from Global Witness claims that greenwashing where businesses, and we've seen it happen all over the world, publicly say that they are supporting climate goals when in fact they are contributing to climate warning. And that is growing online. Yeah, it is big time. And about a year ago, we launched something called EcoBot. Uh, it was a collaboration uh, between myself and uh, Rob and I of Massive Attack and a guy called Barney, who was the, the tech guy behind it. And um, we basically built an eco version of the bots that are out there doing disinformation. And we used it to flag up exactly this kind of thing, greenwashing by uh, by major corporations around the world. I think it landed a story in the New York Times and uh, got a lot of coverage. And it's still out there working. It's a beavering away, ecobot.net, I think it is, mm-hmm. if anybody cares to look at it. for it. Uh, we should take this point to mention as well. Uh, do you hear that sound? That's the book bugle, Dale. It's back. Oh, I remember it. The book bugle. <laughs> and the reason it's back is because your book, Manifesto, which has already done really well, is back with an updated version, two new chapters, and in paperback. Yes, that's it. And in paperback. Uh, what can I say? Yeah, well, pre- it's, you can pre-order it now. Um, oh, I could, I could say that. You're and, right. I'm, and I'm it's under a fiver as well. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you've got it all. You've got all the lines. I don't know. Um, I, I did update it. I wrote two new chapters, a bit of a kind of update on the on the crazy government that we've had for the last couple of years since the book first came out. Introduced some new concepts. I think we're in uh, in the midst of a crisis of capitalism, you know, to add to the other crises that we face. I think, you know, the Tories have had so much rope, they've completely hung themselves. And uh, the whole free market dogma that's dominated since Thatcher, I think is uh, it is being seen now for what it is. It's, it's good for nothing. It's not good for people. Certainly, it's good for big businesses and their shareholders. Yeah. So I think that's a really interesting interesting thing that's happening a bit of an update on tax thoughts and stuff like that uh it's out for pre-sale which i think started this week and um i think we sold nearly a thousand already which is wow and uh, all the proceeds for charity and we've discounted it to a fiver for any online followers that we have out there in fact just shy of a fiver to be honest yeah penny nothing nothing wrong with that uh this in from christine on linkedin what do you make of this week's heat pump announcement from octopus is this a green energy revolution what have they done I don't know, but heat pumps, no, God, no. I mean, they're, they're hideous. I've had an experience of one through this winter, actually. And as we've been saying for a long time now, and, and now I've felt it, when the temperature drops to zero, the heat in your house drops considerably. Uh, your energy electricity consumption goes up, you know. Well, you know to try massively. and keep powering it. Yeah, because the coefficient of performance is known as COP, but it's not that COP. It's a different kind, which is the thing that heat pump owners and sellers boast about. You can get, you know, put one in, get three back out. Yeah, yeah. That's a COP of three to one. Uh, that falls to one to one in the winter. So, you you know, whatever you put in is what you get out. There's no magic uh, energy making tree there. And uh, so, you know, the bills annually go up by 50% if you have a heat pump instead of a gas boiler. Mm. Your temperature of your house will drop unless you've got underfloor heating and special radiators. I mean, it's, 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 the biggest pile of BS. It would cost the whole country 300 billion to convert to heat pumps. Wow. We'd have to build 
three times as much renewable energy, electricity, to get to 100% on the grid. We'd have to scrap tens of millions of boilers and gas cookers and stuff like that and the national gas grid uh, to achieve what? Something we can achieve by just changing the gas in the grid from fossil to green. But octopus are saying we're now going to flog these things. Yeah, well, good luck to them. You're not, you're not thinking this is going to go anywhere. Well, I mean, look, some poor, unfortunate people are going to buy them and thinking they're the answer. I mean, as long as they can afford them, like, I don't know, somewhere between six and eight grand a pop, yeah. you, have, you have to adapt most houses. 50% of all the houses in our country are just not suitable for heat pumps. I mean, you know, I hope nobody kind of uh, suffers from buying one of these things, thinking they're going to get something that they're not yeah, going yeah. to get. But uh, other than that, I just think, look, heat pumps, they're, what are they good for? Right? We've exposed them in a report that was <laughs> yeah, so, that's the thing. Yeah, it's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> we've exposed the fallacy behind the whole plan with inverted commas that the government has yeah. to switch us all to heat pumps it's, it's just and bombs. they must know that as well um here's this comes under the category of headlines that dale vince might not like and it's this veganism may not save the planet studies suggest limited meat consumption could be better for the environment <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm calling bs on that this is the University of Georgia suggesting that it might not be you know, a good thing. Paper found that a diet of mostly plants with local and humanely raised meat is likely oh, the most ethical God. way to eat if we want to save the environment and protect human rights. Well, I don't understand what ethics has got to do with it. I mean, the headline says it's not the best way to save the planet. Now they're saying it's the most ethical way. Well, they're saying, um, one of the things that they're saying is there's nothing sustainable about this plant-based model. Because <laughs> plants don't just grow. Yeah, you have to look at other ways to work out the problem, and this is a problematic issue, says Amy Trauger, who is from the College of Arts and Sciences. Yeah, I mean, it's basically guff, right? Because whatever you put into an animal, cow, pig, whatever, you name it, you get less back out. And what you put into the animal is plants. You have to grow the plants anyway. If you feed them to people instead of animals, you feed more people for the same amount of plants. It cannot be better for the environment to feed plants to animals to feed people. It just can't. Uh, question from Paul, who says, would you ever consider selling bottled green gas? There's a growing number of people like me with off-grid places that would really love to use it. Yes, definitely. It, you know, something that's come up before in conversations and people have suggested and asked the same question. And the answer is yes, definitely. It would be a great thing to do. And, and I think some of the bottled gas companies are looking at it. Uh, I don't know. They'll have a different way of making it from us. But I think Caller and people like that are definitely looking at it. Yeah. And let's have a look at the Forest Green Rover story here, Dale. Uh, Forest Green breaks ground on new stadium. What is the detail there? Oh, well, we did some boreholing to test the ground so that we can uh, design the foundations for the stadium. I mean, it's it's not really a big piece of work, but technically it marks the start of work on the site. And so we put a little post up on social media and say, hey, we've started. It's a small step, but it's uh, it's it's a beginning. It's in the right direction. <laughs> Downwards, actually. When, I'm not sure. When, when, is the, when, when will we see the stadium and all that goes with it as well? Because we, we've talked about this a lot and we talked about it a couple of years ago. What What is the status? What's any hold up, if that is the right word? We're just doing detailed design of the stadium now. It's got outline consent. It's had that since about the year that Boris got elected, uh, whatever year that was. I think I blanked it from my memory. And we're doing the detailed design so that by the summer, we have a buildable planning permission and I think if we're lucky by next summer, so that'll be 2024, 
we might start work on the thing and it could take two years to build. Yeah. That's how it roughly looks right now. It's, it's getting exciting actually because it's starting to become a little bit more um, real. Yeah, well, I think that real. was the, the, the kind of spirit of the question was a little bit like that really, that, that there is, you know, if, if you follow the club and what you do, then, you know, it's been talked about and naturally there are some people <laughs> thinking, well, has it gone away? Yeah, no, it's, it's been around for about 10 years. And I was saying to somebody, I did a Q&A about the club uh, this week. Uh, somebody asked a question and I groaned and I rolled and said, you know, that's my like favorite question in the world Brilliant. because I've been asked it for 10 years and I haven't had much to say, but actually it's changing Good. now. There is stuff going on. Within about a month, we'll start working on some training pitches as well. Question from Don, uh, talking of training, says, Dale, are you training Ed Miliband? I just heard him on Radio 4 with an identical green plan to you. Ah, well, I'd like to think so. I did talk to him and, you know, I have shared a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know uh, what it was he was talking about in this case, but, you know, certainly that's what I'm trying to do. And just before we finish, Dale, the hovercraft. It flew this Stop week. It. and No, it did. It did. Monday, some old, some old airfield in Oxford. Seriously? Uh, yeah, we've got some video. I think the story's going to break next week um, in, in the news. And uh, uh, it's such fun. Such fun. Wow. And um, where does this go? What, what's the eventual application for the hovercraft? Well, it started for a bit of fun, but then it turned out um, some seagrass rewilding people I know said, actually, it's really hard to get the seeds out of the, the River Severn because, you know, it's, it's tidal mudflats. A hovercraft would be ideal. So we, we think we found at least one use for it. It's electric hovercraft, of course, everybody knows that. And uh, Sea Shepherd, uh, an organization that, you know, I've got a lot of, lot of time for, they could also use it in their operations. But we're building... Uh, a second version that is designed for coastal work that has an invention added to it that I can't just talk about right now, uh, but it's really quite exciting. It should be a, a whole heap of fun. But in the meantime, version one finally has flown. And fantastic news to finish on. Dale, we'll speak in a week. <laughs> I look forward to it. Don't forget to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there too. Uh, any questions, get in touch on social media or email zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. Follow Dale, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince, and on Insta and on TikTok too. Zero Carbon East Off.